Well, hello, everyone. I am your host, Colton Prater, and this is the Fires of Revival podcast, and I am honored that you would take the time to listen in wherever that may be. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. Uh, I want to say thank you for all of those that have been sharing this with others, that have been you know, sending the link of these messages to your friends or siblings or family members or whatever the case is and just spreading the word. And I want to encourage you to continue to do the same thing that you have been doing. And those of you that haven't, I would challenge you to, you know, share this, share these messages with others if they'll be an encouragement and a blessing to them as well. But before we jump into our message, I'll open up with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to give this message. I know this is the message you want me to preach, Father, and ask that you give me uh, wisdom as I'm doing this, that you'll calm any nerves I may have, that you'll give me clarity of mind and thought and speech, and that those listening in will block out all the distractions around them, that the, that, and that they will take this message and apply it to their life, Father. I just want to say I love you and thank you for this day, and in your son's name, amen. So this here is our part two of our of our messages here on Habakkuk. If you notice, last message I did was on Habakkuk chapter one. It was more of like a survey message of all throughout Habakkuk and looking at the book as a whole. Well, today we're going to look at a more specific aspect of it. And our text is found in Habakkuk chapter number three, Habakkuk chapter number three. This is part two of a three-part series on the book of Habakkuk here. And our text is Habakkuk chapter three, verses one and two. And I'm going to go ahead and begin reading these. And it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the, pro- uh, the prophet upon Shigonoth. O Lord, I have heard of thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work. In the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make known, in wrath, remember mercy. And we're really going to focus on that last phrase here later on, the phrase, in wrath, remember mercy. But the title for this message is, A Heart Cry for Revival. A Heart Cry for Revival. If you notice, the first message was, A Man with a Burden. And if you want to have a revival, if you want to make a difference, you must have a burden about you. There must be a burden and a desire to want to serve God in your heart. And then next, after you have the burden, there must be a heart cry for revival, which we find here in Habakkuk chapter 3. And we all can admit and all can you know, agree that the greatest need in this country right now, the greatest need in our heart right now is revival. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news or not, but if you have, you've been noticing all the protests and rioting and looting and injustice going on all across this nation and across the world. And right now... More than any other time in this history, this world's history, we need Jesus. We need Christ to come, and we need Him to re- revive the church and to save those that are lost and those that are saved to help get us back on fire. And we need revival now more than ever. You know, I heard someone say that a definition of revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. I was heard, I was been told that was by Charles Finney, the great revivalist. He said that a revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. And if you want revival, you must start obeying God, obeying His commandments, obeying what the Bible says Christians ought to do. And as it says there in Habakkuk chapter 3 and 1 and 2, it says, O Lord, revive thy work. You know, that should be our prayer as Christians. We should be praying, God, revive thy work, Father. I think of the, all the hymns we sing in the hymn book, the revive thy work, all the different revival hymns we have. What if we truly meant those? What if when we were singing those hymns, we actually were praying those to God at the same time, praying, God, revive thy work, you know, heal our land, and wrath, remember mercy. And what if we spent time interceding on behalf of our nation to God for our nation that God will revive us? Now, a lot of people like to think that revival is evangelism. Now, evangelism, they think, you know, revival and evangelism go hand in hand. 
And they do in a sense, but a lot of people like to treat them as if they are the same thing. We like to say, you know, Mark 16, 15, you know, that's the uh, great commission that God gives us there in the book of Mark and in the New Testament. But, you know, here's the thing. Evangelism is not revival. See, we like to confuse evangelism and say, you know, people getting saved is revival. And you know what? If a church is truly revived, that should be a fruit of it. That should be a fruit of being revived, a fruit of new obedience, a fruit of revival should be evangelism, but evangelism is not revival. You know, revival involves God's people getting their hearts stirred. When God's people get their hearts stirred, that, my friend, is revival. When our hearts are getting stirred and we're having a new beginning of obedience to God, we are being revived. Revival is happening in our hearts. It's happening in my heart and it's happening in yours when we do that. But here's some things I want you to keep in mind. I want you to keep in mind that God desires to work through us. See, God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. And he's omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He can do anything he wants. He can destroy this world in the snap of a finger. He can do literally anything he wants. But here's the thing. He chooses to work through me and you. He chose me, Colton Prater, and you, whatever your name is, listener and friend. He wants you to do a work, to do his work in this world. See, God could save everyone in this whole world just by requiring us to. He could snap a finger, say a command, and everyone's saved and on their way to heaven. And everyone is revived and everyone wants to serve God, but that's not the case. God gives us free will and God chooses to work through me and he chooses to work through you because we are the vessels with which God gets his work done and he uses us. And here's the thing I want you to keep in mind with Habakkuk. I said this last time, but Habakkuk stood on the eve of captivity of Judah. Judah was about to go into captivity and Habakkuk knew it. And he said, you know what? I have to make a difference. And the book literally opens. It says, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Habakkuk literally opened up with a burden because he was so burdened for his nation. He was so burdened for God to work that he literally, it says the the burden which he did see. He literally saw the burden before him because he was so burdened for his nation. You know, this nation, the nation of Judah here, may have seemed insignificant to world history. and It may have been a small nation in comparison to all the other nations across the world at that time. But God had chosen those people to work. He picked Habakkuk out of that nation and said, I want you to do a work. I want you to preach a message of revival. I want you to preach a message of Christ, of God coming to judge the nation. I want you to help preach and help witness and help see if you can get Israelites, get the, the, people, the tribe of Judah back on fire for God and back to being revived to God. And the thing is, God chooses us to work in our churches. God chooses us to work in whatever town you may be from. I know I'm from Shelbyville in the Bedford County area. And since I'm saved, God has chosen me to be a witness in this county. He's chosen me to be a witness in this town, and it's my job to help win the lost in this area. In whatever area, whatever town, state you're from, region you're from, that's the area God has called you to right now, and that's the area that God wants to do a work through you in. And Habakkuk recognized that God wanted to do a work through him, and he had to be willing, and he had to be available. You know, our churches, God wants to make himself known to us and through us to this world. See, God wants to do a work to us, and then he wants to do a work through us so that others can see it, so that God can be glorified and that his message can be made known across the world. And he does that through Christians. He uses us as his vessels to get the work done. Also keep in mind that revival is our only hope. You know, we can try to say, you know what, someone can preach and say, this is our hope, that's our hope. You know, maybe if the economy gets right, this is our hope, or if the the right president gets elected, that's our hope. And all these things are, you know, great things. We should want, you know, the right political leaders in place. We should want a good economy that helps stimulates growth in our nation, financially speaking. 
But that's not what's going to fix our nation. What's going to fix our nation is revival. Is God reviving the Christians and the Christians getting on fire and the Christians witnessing, the Christians praying, the Christians tithing, giving, attending church, being faithful, doing all these things God commands us to do. And then revival comes worldwide. And that, my friend, is how you can make a difference in this world is through revival. You know, Habakkuk knew his nation would be judged. He knew that it was inevitable, it was inescapable, and that it was coming regardless. Yet Habakkuk said, you know what? I'm going to stand in the way and I'm going to do my best through God to prolong this judgment and to push this judgment off as long as possible. And, you know, that should be our job as Christians. We should be the ones trying to push off judgment in our nation. Because we all know judgment is coming one day. God's going to come. And he's going to rot judgment or bring judgment across our nation and across this world. Yet us as Christians need to hold back that judgment as long as possible. And that's what Habakkuk was doing with his life. You know, Habakkuk came to believe that the only hope they had was revival. And if we want to see God work, we must realize that the only hope we have is revival. That's the only way we have a chance. It's the only way God can work is through reviving God's people, through reviving the Christians. You know, and here's the thing, is that with us holding on to revival, believing that it can and will happen, and I believe it will happen, that a revival will happen across this globe, across this nation, in, in this church, in, my, in, in your church, in my heart, we have to hold that hope. You know, God's people, Christians, if we know the Lord and we know who He is and we're saved, then we have a hope. We hold that key of hope knowing that God is going to work, that God is going to do something great, and that's what we need to hold on to as Christians. We need to be faithful to God and continue praying and hoping that God is going to work because he will. But we must hold that hope. Now here we're going to look at four things. I'm talking about revival. We're going to look at four things, what that revival means, what that revival does. And then we'll have our three quick points here and we'll be done after this. But if I were you and you had something, maybe a phone to type out on or a piece of paper, I would encourage you to write these out. But I'm going to give you a list of four things that revival does. The four things that revival does. Number one, revival means greater devotion to Christ. Revival means greater devotion to Christ. You know, all believers know that we need a higher level of devotion to Jesus Christ. And when revival comes, people will be willing to serve the Lord because they are devoted to Him. See, I believe the, the, the main reason why a lot of Christians aren't serving God as they should is because they're not devoted to Christ as they should. They don't love Christ as they ought to. They don't, because Christ gave everything for us. He died on the cross to pay for each of our sins. Yet we don't treat Christ the same way he treated us on the cross by paying for our sin debt. See, God, God gave everything, yet we don't ever give it. We, we give hardly anything, it seems like. And if we had a greater devotion to Christ, God's work would get done. And we would be more on fire as Christians. We would be more wanting to serve God more than we already have. We would be wanting to increase our capacity of being used by God. And revival means a greater devotion to Christ. And that when we are being revived, there's going to be a greater devotion to God, a greater devotion to spiritual things in our life than it was before this happened. So I want to challenge you that when, when there's a revival meeting coming up or if you're praying and asking God to revive you, ask Him specifically to give you a greater devotion to God, a greater devotion to spiritual matters and to spiritual things. Number, one, uh, number two, revival increases the labor force for Christ. Revival increases the labor force for Christ. You know, our churches, we need more people praying, more people witnessing, more people involved in the workforce of every church. And if you go in every church, it seems like 20% of the people do 80% of the work and the remaining 80% do the 20%. But, you know, every Christian should be giving their all. And every Christian, it should be, the way the church should be, it should be 100% of Christians doing 100% of the work. 
Yet that's not the case. But if we were truly revived as a church, that would be a fruit of it. That when we truly are revived, that every Christian that is revived in that church is going to want to be serving God. There should be a desire in your heart to want to serve God and to make a difference in this world. You know, your church, you should be talking to your pastor saying, hey, uh, pastor, you know, can I help in this area? Can I help in a Sunday school class? Can I help you witnessing on Saturdays or Thursdays or whenever you have that? Or can I help in the nursery? Can I do this? Can I help? you know, remodel this or do the landscaping for the the mulch on the front? Or, you know, can I paint this room for you? Or can I do this? Can I do that? And if we truly are revived, a fruit of that means that the labor force we have in our church serving God should be increasing. There should be more Christians wanting to serve God, more Christians wanting wanting to make a difference and wanting to make a difference for God. You know, revival will cause more people to get under the workload and serve the Lord. Number three, revival causes greater interest in the Lord's work. Revival causes greater interest in the Lord's work. You know, as Christians, we must narrow our interest. We must eliminate good things for the best things. You know, revival will cause us to do this. See, a lot of Christians, they don't make a difference for God because, you know, it's not because they do the bad things or they do these terrible, wicked, evil things instead of serving God. It's because they do the good things instead of the best things. You know, for instance, maybe instead of, you know, going visiting on uh, Saturday with your church, you decide to go out to the lake, and that's what you do on Saturdays. You know, there's nothing wrong with going to the lake and, you know, having fun out on the river, or being on a boat, or doing whatever that, you know, may be. But there's best things, there's better things to be doing than that during that time. And if we truly are revived, we're going to give up the good things for the best things. We're going to give up the things that, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with, but they're getting in the way of us serving God. And we're going to block out all distractions in our life. And that if you truly are revived, a fruit of that means that there's going to be a greater interest for you doing the Lord's work and that you're going to eliminate the good things for the best things that God has for you. Number four, revival brings zeal for the Lord. It's similar to the point number one, but number four, revival brings zeal for the Lord. And when we truly are revived, more doors are going to be open. Than they were before. You know, more doors are open today than ever before. Revival will give us a zeal to take advantage of all the opportunities that God has given us in this hour. You know, I think back to those Christians in the 1700s and 1800s, and they didn't have the technology that we have today. You know, today as a church, we have a greater window of opportunity than they did back then. You know, not back then, whenever they would preach in a church, typically only those in the church would hear it, and then maybe a few people would take notes and give it to someone else, and that's usually the extent of the message. But I want you to think for a second for today. In today's tech, with the, today's technology, you know, you can preach a sermon in a church and it can be live streamed and sent to millions of people across this world. And because of technology and other things, our window of reaching people has increased drastically. You know, you can go on your Facebook, post a verse or post a video and billions of people worldwide can have access to that. And because of the technology of today and because of how God has worked and, and done wonders, we have a greater window of opportunity than ever before to share the gospel. And if we truly are revived, we are going to take advantage of that window and we're going to go all out and all in for God. And, you know, I want to challenge you to take these four things as a litmus test to see if you truly are revived. Because if you truly are revived and on fire for God, these four things should be evident in your life. You should have a greater devotion to Christ. You should be wanting to increase your labor force for Christ. You know, you should have a greater interest in the Lord's work. And it should bring zeal for you to take advantage of the opportunities that God has for you in your life. So those are four litmus test things that you can 
maybe measure yourself up to to see if you match up and see if you truly are revived. And I want to challenge you that if you don't meet up to these, then more than likely you're not revived in God. More than likely you're just living for yourself instead of living for Christ. But now we're going to look here at our three points and we'll be done. I promise these will be brief. But number one, we must look at the burden for revival. And in Habakkuk 31, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigunath. Now that word Shigunath, it's a word It means that it basically means an expression of profound and strong emotion. And so it's not like a place, because I thought it was a placement that he was a prophet upon Shigunath, but it means that an expression of profound and strong emotion, meaning this prophet's heart was so burdened and so broken that he could not go anywhere but to God. That he literally was a prophet of strong emotion. And it says, if you saw in chapter 1, where the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, that he was a very burdened man. He was a very very zealous man for the things of God. And he was very burdened. He felt the weight upon his shoulders. And it was almost hard for him in a sense, but he was burdened for God. You know, this prophet's heart was so burdened and so broken that he could not go anywhere but to God. And us as Christians, we need to live a life like that. We need to live a life that we're so burdened for the work of God that the only place we can go to is God. You know, we can't go to other places, you know, find, to get our burden alleviated, to get our burden taken off. We must go to Christ and ask him to help take our burden from him. You know, you know, he, Habakkuk prayed and sought the face of God. And us as Christians need to pray and seek the face of God in everything we do. You know, the burden of revival must begin in prayer. The book of Habakkuk opens up with Habakkuk praying to God and asking him to heal the land. And if we want to make a difference for God, we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to spend time praying to God, asking him to revive our nation, to revive our churches, and to revive our hearts. But we must pray. And God will not send a revival until we get a burden for it. You know, because whatever you're burdened for, that's usually what you want to see happen. That's what you want to see happen and accomplished. You know, I think those in sports, you know, those that are burdened to win a championship are going to put the work in necessary to win one. Whereas if you're not burdened for it and you're just haphazardly playing sports, not giving a care, chances are you're not even going to achieve what your goal is. Chances are you're not even going to come close to it. And the same thing applies to spiritual matters, that if we want to see God work and if we want to see God revive our nation, that we must have a burden. There must be a zeal and a desire to see God work. And if it's not there, I challenge you to ask God to give you a burden. And to ask God to lay a burden on your heart of revival, a burden to see God work in our nation. And if you begin to pray, God will begin to work in small ways and he'll begin to show himself mighty to you and work greater and greater things. I think of Jeremiah 33, which does to call unto me and answer me and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And that we must pray to God and he will revive us and he will revive our nation. So number one, we have the burden for revival. And number two, we have the basis for revival, the basis for revival. And that's found in Habakkuk chapter three, verse two in our text. And it says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. You know, revival begins with God. It says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Meaning that the fear of God is a vital part of revival. If we want to see God revive, revive our nation, we must have a renewed fear of God. You know, we shouldn't be haphazardly throwing God's name around. We should be talking to God with a more zealous passion than we already do. And that revival always begins with God. And when Habakkuk heard the word of God, he said, I was afraid. And the reason why he was afraid is because he realized what was going to happen to his nation and his heart was stirred. He recognized that God was about to bring judgment to his nation. And us as Christians must recognize that God is about to bring judgment to our nation. He's going to bring judgment to our homeland. He's going to bring judgment to our churches, into our lives, into our families' lives. 
if God doesn't work. So if we want to see God work, one of the key foundations, one of the key elements of having God working and reviving our nation and reviving our churches is a fear of God. And we must have a renewed fear of God. You know, there must be a fear of God in order to see revival. The basis for revival is God's people praying and calling on him because they know his word and they fear him. If we want to see God do a work, there must be a fear present in our life. We must recognize how powerful God truly is. And there must be a, a, a fear in our life of who God is. And we must rightfully fear him as our creator and as our maker. So number two, the basis of revival, which is fear. And then lastly, the blessing of revival. So we have number one, the burden. Number two, the basis. And number three, the blessing. And the blessing comes in Habakkuk 3, 1 and 2, where it says, In the midst of years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. You know, Habakkuk recognized that wrath could not be removed. He recognized that wrath is going to come, that he could do his best to prolong it, but that no matter what, wrath was going to come. And I love Habakkuk's prayer there in verse 2 where he says, In wrath, remember mercy. You know, we cannot change the wrath that's coming to this world. But in the midst of all this wrath, God can remember mercy in our lives. And we can pray and ask God to show us mercy and to show us mercy that we need and grace that we need during these hard times. You know, this is the hope of the church. See, us as Christians, if you've read this book, we know that judgment is going to come and that God's going to do all these terrible things to the world. But through all of this, he can show mercy to the Christians. I, I think of Lot and his family when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and judgment came. Yet Lot and his family, with the, with the exception of his wife, they were shown mercy because they were allowed to escape the judgment. And us as Christians, judgment's going to come, but we can ask God to remember mercy during these hard times. We can ask God to remember mercy and grace during these times of judgment and during these times of trials and hard times. You know, as I said, this is the hope of the church. Our hope is that we can pray and ask God to be merciful to us, and if we truly mean that, he will. He will be merciful to us as Christians, and we must spend time praying and asking God to show his mercy. And this, my friend, is the blessing of revival. And the blessing of during all of this that we see with Habakkuk, if you read this book, you'll see how terrible his situation is. And if you read Jeremiah as a counterpart to it, it'll show you even more the devastation and the destruction of the nation and how hard and how wicked the place was. Yet during all of this, God showed mercy to his people. And God will show mercy to us if we truly ask God to revive us. We have a healthy fear of him. And that if we spend time asking God to, in the midst of the years, remember mercy, as it says there in Habakkuk 3.2, that God will. You know, with Habakkuk, may our hearts cry out for revival. You know, us as Christians, we need to be spending time every day praying, asking God to revive our nation and to revive our church and to revive each of our hearts. Because revival is not going to begin unless it begins in our hearts, unless it begins in my heart and in your heart. And we must be spending time praying and asking God to revive us as a church and to revive us as a nation. And I just want you to keep in mind that the blessing of revival, the most important part of this series, this three-part series, this is part two here. But the most, if you forget everything I've, ta I've preached about in Habakkuk here, I want you to remember this one verse here, Habakkuk 3.2, where it says, the last phrase where it says, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. And that us as Christians, that's the hope that we have, is that well, as this world is getting worse and worse and more wicked, we have a mercy that we can cling to. We can cling to God and ask Him to give us mercy and to show us mercy in our lives. That's all I have for this message. So we'll close out in prayer here and be done. Dear Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for technology and allowing me this opportunity to record this message so that others can hear it. 
ask you with all all those that are going to be listening to this, that they will take it and apply it to their life, that they will draw closer to you, and that you will begin to revive their heart, and that you will revive my heart as well, and that you will revive our nation, Father. I just want to say I love you and thank you for this day, and in your son's name, amen.